0: Thanks you guys. Um, my name's Britt. If you're new to Sunridge, I'm one of the pastors here, and I just wanted to let you know that if you are new, uh, next Sunday, right after uh, this service in room 107, we have a welcome brunch, and I just love meeting new people uh, that are at Sunridge. We tell you a little bit about us. We, I like to learn a lot about you as much as I can, as much as I can remember, and um, it's a free brunch. So you get free food out of us, and uh, it's just a great time of hanging out. It lasts about an hour, and we have child care, too. So please, if you're, if you're at that place where you're like, hey, I want to know a little more about the church, then uh, plan on that next, next weekend. That, that'll be fantastic. Um, recently, uh, researchers at the University of Wisconsin uh, have discovered that uh, people who help people are much happier than those that don't prioritize helping others. And in fact, like studies like that and others that have caused researchers, social scientists and all, to rethink kind of our traditional view on altruistic acts or when we're trying to help someone else. Traditionally, we think of that as, you know, like when we help somebody, we experience a loss, like it costs us something, there's a sacrifice in it. But what they're discovering is that Our brains seem to be hardwired uh, to receive a psychological reward when we help people. In fact, they've kind of fondly termed this thing that they don't know what it is yet, but they're calling it uh, the moral molecule. That when we help people or uh, when we feel a connection with others, uh, our bodies release oxytocin. And I don't know if you know about that hormone, but it's called the love hormone, oxytocin. Um, it, it's released when a mother is nursing a baby, when we hug or uh, think of our children, loved ones. Uh, when we make love, uh, it releases oxytocin. And so when we help others, there's like this happy drug that kind of gets released in our bodies. Um, And researchers have even determined that you don't even actually have to help somebody, you just have to start thinking about deciding to help somebody, and you'll feel happiness. The University of Zurich did a study in which the researchers brought in these participants and they said, we're we're gonna give you an amount of money and uh, we wanna ask you some questions about how you might spend it. And then when they brought them into the lab, they said, okay, one of the things we want you to consider in spending this is maybe you have a friend who needs help, and how, how could you spend some of this money to help them? And as they considered that question, uh, they were doing MRIs of their brains, and they found this the spot in your brain that um, uh, connects you socially, where there's happiness. You know, th- those parts of people's brains, or the participant brains, were, like, more active. So, and, and even throughout the study, what they found is that the people that decided to do something with this money to help their friend, they, they not only experienced more happiness like in going into the study, but like by the end, they made happier decisions. They were more happy with the choices that they made as they, they went through the study. So it makes, it makes me think that you know, there might be some truth to when the Apostle Paul said, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, we might even love ourselves more if we're cheerful about our giving. We might just be cheerful if we help others. And, you know, of course, the Apostle Paul quoted Jesus once in saying that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe the Bible might know something that we're just discovering. The reason why I tell you about a few of those studies and their conclusions is we're in this collection of teachings from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's in your New Testament and um, this is a letter that he wrote back to a church that he founded on one of his missionary journeys. And the message that comes through so loud and clear is like joy. Joy is mentioned like 16 times in the book. And, um, you know, what, what's remarkable about that is that Paul's writing this letter from prison. So he's writing about joy in a time where he's in a, not-so-awesome situation, and he's writing to people who are experiencing kind of the uptick of the persecution of Christians, and he's writing about how we are meant to enjoy life in the way that God has designed it. And this thought that comes, there's a main thought that comes through in the passage we're going to look at today in Philippians 2, starting in verse 19 to the, to the end of the chapter, and the, the thought is this. If you want to enjoy life, then help others. If you want to enjoy life, then help others. Now again, as I mentioned, Paul is in prison. And what we're going to see in this passage is the church at Philippi has sent two people to be with him, to help him and assist him. And you're going to meet two people today if you're not familiar with these names, Timothy and Epaphroditus. I want to look at some of the other passages, at least with Timothy, that talk about who he is so that you'll be more familiar with this individual and then we'll look at what the apostle paul says in a flip in philippians 2. so timothy has at least 24 mentions by the apostle paul in other places in scripture and uh here's what we know about timothy first of all two new testament books bear his name this is in your notes if you've ever looked at your new testament and some of the titles of the books there's this one that says one timothy and two timothy um, And that's the first letter and second letter that Paul has written to him as a young man, as a pastor. Secondly, uh, we note about Timothy is that he was a child of a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. So that's important because Timothy is the result of a mixed marriage. Mixed ethnically, mixed uh, religiously. And so you're going to see that Timothy's mother is a devout follower of Christ and yet his father is not. So if you're in that situation, you know, in a marriage where you're, one of you is a Christian and one isn't, it's like Timothy might be a good book to read and just kind of get that perspective. Um, another thing we learn about Timothy is that he was converted through the faithful witness of his mother and his grandmother. In 2 Timothy, the second letter Paul wrote, To Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. So what Bible scholars believe happened is when Paul came through this region, Elystra, preaching the gospel, um, either his mother or his grandmother became Christian, or both, and then Timothy grows up in this home where his mother and grandmother are sharing their faith with him. So if you're, again, if you're a parent that's in a, in a mixed marriage, you know, religiously, your spouse isn't a Christian, or if you're a parent of a child or a grandparent, you, you see what a tremendous influence you have on your children and your grandchildren. You have... You have a wonderful opportunity for your faith to be passed on. So if you're in that moment and things aren't perfect for you, be encouraged by just Timothy's situation. Also, we see that, Paul, uh, that Timothy was discipled personally by Paul. Discipled means he was mentored, he was trained. He, he learned how to be a Christian to a great deal in a very personal way uh, from the great Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 2, 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard of me, you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul is saying, look, I've taught you. And so all you need to do, Timothy, is pass on what I've been teaching you. And so inferred there is that Paul has this tremendous impact on this young man who became a Christian through the influence of his mother and his grandmother. And then lastly, we see that Paul's influencing even larger than that. He joined Paul in planning and establishing churches. And you can read that story in Acts chapter 16, 1 through 4, and that's part of what we'll see today, some of the interaction that he had there. So, wrapping up, Timothy, this man that we're going to read about today, is the result of the intentional outreach by the early church. The Christian influence and testimony of his mother and his grandmother. He has benefited from the systematic and intentional mentoring or discipleship by a concerned and mature Christian. And he had the opportunity to share experiences and traveling and, and... situations in which he could also share the gospel. So a Timothy doesn't just happen magically. A Timothy happens through an investment of many different people that are part of a church. Here's what Paul says about him in this passage. Starting in chapter 2, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy is with Paul and eventually he's going to send him back to the church at Philippi so that he can bring Paul information about how that church is doing. In verse 20, here's what he says. I have no one else like him. There's no one like Timothy to Paul. And here's why. He takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He says... He genuinely cares about people at the church and you know right after that he says that not everyone does that not everyone has the the, something beyond self-interest at their church or in their congregation Timothy has a bigger picture he's concerned about others and he's also Christ-centered he says he's not all all about his own interests but those of Jesus, Jesus Christ. He's Christ-centered in his focus. But, and then also you know that Timothy has proved himself. So he's proven. That, that word means reliable. He's, he's dependable. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Timothy's a, a remarkable individual, but he... You know, because he um, genuinely cares about people, he's Christ-centered, and he's just reliable. He's not flaky. But the way Timothy got that way is the result of the investment that people made in him. That's something for all of us to think about. Then there's Epaphroditus. And he only is mentioned in this section of Scripture in Philippi, and he only gets... Two mentions, but it doesn't mean that he's not important. You, you might not have ever heard that name before, Epaphroditus. Maybe you don't have a brother named that, or uh, you know someone on your team. And so if and if it's difficult for you to write it, just call him E, or to say it. Just call him E. In fact, in my notes, there's something difficult about even typing that name, Epaphroditus, and it, I always misspell it. In my notes, I actually just call him E in many places that was free. But all we know about him is what we find here and then in chapter 4 he delivers kind of a GoFundMe offering to the Apostle Paul. And here's what we see about Epaphroditus or E. He's a member of the Philippian church so he comes from among them. He was also converted and also obviously trained and um, a Gentile not didn't have Jewish background, religious background. And he's converted because of the mission work of Paul, and yet he's also grown up in his faith too. And then that makes him, the second thing we know about him is a dedicated servant. He's someone who's dedicated in serving others, and you'll see that come out in what Paul says about him here, beginning in verse 25, but I think it's necessary. Even though I can't send Timothy right now, he says, I, it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus and look at the words he used to describe Epaphroditus, my brother. That says something about the relationship that Paul has with him. He's not just, you know, somebody at my church. There's like a brotherhood with him. He's part of the family of God. There's a sense of connectedness that goes beyond duty or we go to the same church. There's, there's a strong connection here with Epaphroditus. He also calls him a fellow worker. So he's not just in, has great fellowship with, with E., he, um, he's a fellow worker his sleeves are rolled up and he's invested in what God is doing at that church and not only that he's a fellow soldier which you know you, you could have someone you feel a strong connection with in the church that serves alongside you but to call him a fellow soldier says something about his stick to and his, his braveness and his cor- cora- courageousness in, in the face of like challenges and persecution. He's a guy that will stand with you even when it's not going to be easy to stand. He's a fellow soldier who is also your messenger, which is the same word from which we get apostle, which he's, he's able to be sent. He's so solid in his faith that he can be sent as a representative of the whole church and be trusted with money and the care and, and the great task that he's been given when the church can't all go. He's their representative. Whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longed to all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Notice this. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you will be glad, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Paul's saying, he's, he's so valuable to me. It's going to be hard for me to let him go, but I need to do this so that I'm not anxious about you. Welcome him in, in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. And there's no, no specifics on this, how Epaphroditus got to the point of being so sick or His health was affected. And I don't recommend this for any church member. But, you know, what? this guy's remarkable. And he's so important to Paul. He describes him as brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger. You know, the the words that Paul uses for both Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are helper words. They're helper words. About Timothy, he says he cares about people. He's Christ-centered. He's proven. Of Epaphroditus, he's he's a brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger. Something's coming to the surface about what it means to enjoy life. And when Paul describes the people that are so important to him, in this little interlude kind of in the middle of this letter, he's talking about people that are helping. I think it's important to note what he doesn't say about them. That He doesn't say that they're brilliant or they're talented. He doesn't applaud them for their education or that they're wealthy. They may have been any of those things, but you know the most valuable thing to Paul was the way they helped him. That's what really blessed him. And you have to think about who the Apostle Paul is. If, you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you kind of get this picture of Paul being this crusty, super independent, determined, adventuresome guy who he didn't really need people. I mean, you see him being really bold in moments. Like, you think, whoa, you're not going to have many friends when you get done with that speech. But he doesn't seem to care. But, like, we kind of get a little, little peek Inside this really strong, independent guy who's bold for the gospel, but how, how he needs helpers too. I think that there are three things, at least, that come out of this passage of Scripture about how helping and having helpers in our lives contributes to the way we experience joy in life. And I want to give those to you as we wrap up here. First of all, and I put them kinda in beatitude form just to be a little snazzy. (laughs) So here they are. First of all, happy are they who help because of the gospel. Happy are they who help because of the gospel. Now when I say that word gospel, some of you are new to church, you don't really know what that means or you have kinda like a mysterious perspective. The gospel just means good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And what's good news about that is, doesn't matter how far from God you are, you know, the Bible says that God loves the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He loves the world. If you're breathing still, you're in the world, you're part of the world, and so there's nothing that you can do that would would prevent you from being able to receive the grace of God. There's, There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So if you feel far from God, the good news is, if you place your faith in Christ, you're immediately connected to him. It's also good news for those of you who are trying to be so good, and you think, if I'm just good enough, God will accept me. And you live under this burden because of a, another religious tradition or maybe you just have misconceptions about Christianity. It's like you're constantly earning God's favor. You can't do it. And you know, you're just not gonna ever be good enough without Jesus Christ. So the good news is that our relationship with God is based on our faith in Christ and nothing else. Now, will I want to be good? Will I want to grow in that faith? I think so. But my relationship with God is not dependent upon that. Now, here's the thing. Here's what, this is how this connects to helping. In verse 22, Paul says that Timothy proved himself because as a son with, a, as, as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. So you get a little picture of, like, what is motivating Timothy? It's that the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed him. And then if you look at what Paul says about Epaphroditus in verse 30, he almost died for what? For the work of Christ. So both Timothy and Epaphroditus, the extraordinary level level on which they're helping, comes from the result of them having received the good news. And allowing that, as we've been talking about, to grow inside us. So all the helping that's going on here is generated by, supported by, energized by what God has done on the inside of these men. And that's also true of Paul, because Paul's in this pickle because he was sharing the gospel too. You know, the reason why to bring that up is because if we're not careful, we can find all kinds of motivators to do good things, or sometimes unmotivators to not do good things, right? If we're we're not careful, we we could do good things and be a helper because someone else is putting pressure on us, or someone, the preacher, threw out a really good idea, which I'm going to have a great idea for you at the end of this message. (laughs) But it's going to be up to you and what God is doing in you, whether that's for you or not. I'm going to leave that mysterious so that you'll just sit on the edge of your seat until the end of this message. Um, Paul says that there are some people in the church that they're looking out for their own interests. You know, I find comfort in that as a fellow struggler and also as a pastor that right away, in the earliest church record, we have people who are doing things for the entirely wrong motives. Doesn't that bring you comfort? Doesn't it challenge you? Because we can do things because the preacher asked us or because we're seeking recognition or it's just my thing and I'm trying to find myself and, and vicariously uh, discover who, who I am. Uh, I'm trying to earn some respect. Whatever, whatever like is inside you, money. Um, if it's not what God is doing inside us, then it's, it's going to be ill-advised eventually, and it's, it's going to run out of gas, I promise you. It won't satisfy, and it won't bring you happiness. The thing that's driving these men is they're helping because of the gospel. Second thing, happy are they who help in partnership with others. Happy are they who help in partnership with others. Think about this. Paul is helping the church at Philippi. He... He started the church there, so he went there to help them to receive the gospel, and he's still concerned about them. That's why he's writing this letter. The Philippians are in turn helping Paul, right? They're in partnership with him, sending him support. Timothy and Epaphroditus are part of that support, and they are helping Paul as a team. Paul is also concerned for Epaphroditus specifically because his health is failing because he's working too hard. And Epaphroditus is concerned, while his health is failing, for the church to be overly concerned about him when they hear that he's he's really sick. All of these people involved, the church, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Paul, they are all helping in partnership. They are part of a team. They are bringing hope to their world as a team. Now, a team victory is different than a solo victory. Let's point that out. Right? And this is not to disparage anybody here who's a wrestler, a golfer, a supercross champion, and you did it all by yourself, okay? There's also a team involved in that. But there's something special about a team sport to me. And, you know, you watch a team sport, and when they win the championship, they all jump together and they pile on each other. And, like, why do they do that? Because... They could just all go off to the cameras and say, you know, individually, I executed, and that's why we won. It's like, no, they, they share this joy together. That's, that's the joy of working in partnership with people. And it's different than a solo victory. We accomplish more when we work in partnership with others for the sake of the gospel. Team World Vision is here. They're an organization that we partnered with several years ago. And annually, we have been running in the L.A. Marathon Uh, for clean water in Africa. You're going to hear about that at the end of the service. That's the mystery thing, by the way, if you didn't, if you were sleeping earlier. And um, you know that last year over 100 of us ran. We raised $130,000 for clean water in Africa, and that is clean water for 2,600 people for a lifetime. So here's the thing. None of us could do that as individuals. We did it as a team. There were runners. There were givers. There were supporters. There, were, there was fundraising. There are people that, are, Sunridge isn't even their home. They, they were part of that. You know, last year we, we did this beautiful thing. It was, some, it was an idea that was like just the best idea ever that we've had at Sunridge. We put orange balloons on every chair on chairs to represent the runners that we had last year. How many of you remember those orange balloons? Over here, okay. So we did that. That was so cool. It was but you know, really, the reason why we did it at first was like we gotta tell people that our church usually isn't this small. So the balloons will represent like, yeah, there's other people here usually, but they're all off running the marathon. So it's kinda out of fear, but honestly, I'm just can I be honest in church? No, I'm not allowed, I'm the pastor. So, um, but you know, like, nothing would be cooler than this spring if uh, all we had was orange balloons in here and five of us that just cannot run or walk. That would be awesome. I, that, would, that would be a mad representation of Sunridge. you know. We accomplish more when we do it together. It's not, it's not the sum total of our efforts, it just multiplies our efforts. University of Kentucky also, uh, they did a study. That they call this the ripple effect. When, when people get that they're in partnership and they're helping one another, you know, there's this ripple effect in the organization. Maybe you're part of an organization that has that, or maybe you're not. Maybe they don't have it. But when there's this vibe in a church, on a team, in a community, in a little league group, in a workplace, in an office, when there's this vibe of like, we are in this together. Work productivity is higher, people are happier, they're more likely to enjoy the job that they have. That's the ripple effect. It's what happens when we work in partnership. And then I think there's something that I call the not alone factor. And you see this come out in Paul's vulnerability here. You know, before Jesus ascended, one of the things he said to his disciples is, you are not alone. I am with you to the end of the world. And some of you are sitting in this room, and I, and I know some of your stories and the things that you've gone through. And there are some recent stories of folks in our church that have experienced, like, just really challenging times and prognosis. And you know, the thing sometimes it gets you through A day it's just knowing that you're not alone in fact if if we have a community of people around us those that we know that love us you can almost do anything happy are they who help in partnership with others if you want to be happier at work in your home at your church in any relationship or team that you're a part of. To be happier, ask this question. What could we do together in this situation? And that's likely to lead you to something that's a partnership. Last thought, and then we're done. Happy are they who help those only they can help happy are they who help those only they can help. Now put on your imagination here for a second and think about, imagine if Paul, when he was miraculously converted, he never got like, he never acted on this burning desire to go tell other people about Jesus. And he just said, yeah, I'm going to stay here at the church in Jerusalem and, you know, just worship Jesus forever. Imagine if he had not kind of followed that nudge to go somewhere and to do something with it. Imagine that he he did not share the gospel with Timothy or Epaphroditus or people at Philippi. Imagine if when Timothy and Epaphroditus received Christ and and they, they began a life of faith, imagine if they had not taken advantage of all the discipleship opportunities that came their way. And they just said, well, you know, it sure is nice to have my ticket to heaven. I'm just going to, like, soak it in. Imagine if they had not grown up or deepened their faith, as we've talked about here. And imagine if uh, the believers at Philippi, even though Paul had been such an extraordinary catalyst for their faith and what God was doing there, imagine they said, you know, Paul is so far away You know, it's like out of sight, out of mind. You know, we we got enough troubles of our own here. It's like, why are we going to send people over there and do this thing? Imagine that. Imagine if the people who shared the gospel with you had just decided not to do it. Imagine if... uh, And you think about it, like think about it in macro form, not just micro, that individual maybe that shared their faith with you. Imagine like the organizations behind that, the churches and the people that gave and the people that won them to Christ. And just imagine if those people had never paid it forward to you. And then imagine it the other way, flip it, And think about what God has given you and the opportunities that he gives you to live out the gospel or to share the gospel with people. Don't you want to do that? Last week I gave uh, this statement and uh, I'm just going to put it up there again and read it to you. You are perfectly positioned to impact someone with the gospel. You are perfectly positioned to impact someone with the gospel. You have people in your life that no one else can reach. <clears throat> Only you. And if you think about our church, whose sunridge is, like we have, we have something that God wants us to do. That's why we're here. We, we have resources. We have, we have relationships and and people in our lives, we have time that we allocate in different ways. We have um, different situations that we're placed in. These are opportunities, maybe, for us to help those who whom only we can help. You know, if you're a Christian. You will enjoy life much more if you are activated to help by the good news that lies within you. By partnering with others who want to do the things that you want to do. And by being aware of and acting on the opportunities that God gives you and he gives us as a church that we can partner together. I hope, I hope for you that you have a Paul or a Timothy or an Epaphroditus in your life. And I hope that you get fully that somewhere there's a Paul that needs help. And we might be the Timothy or Epaphroditus that would be sent by others, by this church, by, by God's spirit. But God has somebody out there for us to reach. It's an amazing thought. And you, can you imagine the joy that you will experience when you see God work in that situation and use you, whether it's in your school, with students or <clears throat> in your neighborhood or w- within your own family that you see the opportunities to either live the gospel or share the gospel with them that's going to make you extraordinarily happy and filled with joy and i promise you you will be filled with joy on the day you arrive in heaven and y- and we fully get it of the difference our lives made when we were here now, I can tell you that, you know, this isn't what I'm about to say. It's not for everybody, but it's, it's something that we're doing as a church. It's like there is a Paul over in Africa that needs something, clean water. And with that clean water comes the opportunity to share the gospel in places that we would never, Sunridge, would never have the opportunity to do so but God has a plan for us to do that we're going to show a video that uh, is all about this partnership we have with Team World Vision and what we're trying to do in Africa and then Rich Rell our representative from uh, Team World Vision come up and tell you a little more about what it's about so put your eyes on the screen and then I'll be back in just a little bit thank you
1: In 2006, one man heard a divine whisper that he could help the most vulnerable kids in the world by running marathons, so he said yes. He felt God ask him to invite others into the same vision, so he did. Many people felt scared of the unknown. Fear prevailed, and they said no. But many people pushed through that fear, and they said yes. The first year, 100 people said yes. The next year, 400 said yes then 1,000, then 2,000. As people said yes to new challenges and to changing the lives of kids and communities in Africa, their own lives started to change in drastic ways. I started
0: this year, this is my first year. I have only been out of a wheelchair for two years now.
2: In the beginning, I was like, "Mm, my knees, mm, I got too much weight, Mm, hold on. But I stuck with it. And I just went all in. I thought, I'm 55, why not? Bev did it at 60, I'll do
1: it at 55.
0: this has really brought me back, helped me recommit my life to the
1: Lord, but uh, also to those less fortunate. And plus the goal of like bringing clean water that, like that's beautiful. So I was like, this is something I really want to do. We really did a lot of training, just the two of us. And it was a, such a bonding moment of yeah. that, that time when you, your your strength is faltering and the person next to you it carries you through it.
2: Well, i have lost 75 pounds through this. And I couldn't imagine my seven year old having to go run and get water for our family. So that's what keeps me motivated and focused. I plan on running a marathon every single year until I die. Whoa. We'll see how that happens, or how that goes.
1: Over the last 10 years, over 25,000 people have joined Team World Vision, and they just keep saying that magic word, yes. Every one of those yeses also represents kids in Africa who get to say yes to life, yes to health, yes to an education, Yes to hope. Hundreds of thousands of kids. Every movement, every revival, every revolution in the history of mankind has begun because someone said yes. They are yes people. We are yes people. You are one too. As long as there are children in this world without clean water, we will continue saying yes.
2: So, I, I, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. This is definitely the more alive service. Well, it, it is, Pastor. You're right with that. Like, you guys are clapping already. so That means you're in. Uh, skip this. Uh, I was trying to figure out why I get so nervous consistently when I see that. I've seen that hundreds of times. And, um, and why it doesn't get old. And, and it's going to sound cheesy, but work with me because I love you guys. And I know as much as the impact that we have, that you have had on the world, what this will do for you, especially if God is calling you into it. I don't know how to explain it completely, but the transformation is unreal. So if you've already checked out because you heard the running and stuff, and you're like, yada, yada, that's okay, do this with me. Imagine that you wake up and you see on the news that 100 jetliners have crashed, like overnight, um, sounds kind of ridiculous you're probably checking to see if you know someone on the flight how many people on there you start doing the math and 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 i'm not playing with you because 26,500 people sometimes i don't like doing numbers died yesterday of preventable causes of extreme poverty unreal a thousand died of the lack of access to clean water clean water and that's actually Uh, I'm actually giving you some hopeful news because a thousand it used to be 1600. So we're making an impact. We're going to end that crisis because of the faithfulness of, of people like yourselves. I remember when this shift happened for me and I call it shift because God has been clarifying what happens when we do this in church services. And these are rare moments. Right where he takes you and kind of changes your plans, shifts your understanding, and, and, and you're changed forever. And I think our best life are, lives are in that moment. And I was sitting in church, baptizing my twins, my three kids actually at the time, and this World Vision guy came in, interrupting my spiritual high-five from God. Because I wasn't raised in a Christian home and my kids were getting baptized, and he reminded me of them being in an incubator for 21 days about to die and how I prayed for them. And he said, they're praying in Africa, Richard get up. Ruined me. Thank you, God. I went from making fun of runners to I'm that weird guy running past your stores. Never wanted to go to Africa. I've been a couple of times and I'll talk to you about that. My first trip to Africa was horrible. I wanted to leave day two, really day one and I cried myself to sleep at night on the shower floor. Wasn't really a shower because I saw the water walk and I, and I wonder, why would they drink this water? And then, guy, then I, I heard the choice in my mind, drink this water now and die slowly. Drink this water now and, and die slowly, or don't drink it and die of dehydration. Water starts the process. Second trip, it got personal, because I decided to sponsor a child. And I went to Julius and met Julius, and he didn't have clean water. But we met him on day one. Day three, I'm on the school's campus. My nose is running. Sorry. It's weird. And they're saying he's looking for you. This young man has put on his jersey because he saw our World Vision trucks go by and was looking for me with tears in his eyes. And they're like, he loves you. And I thought it was just me just giving a little bit of money. So what am I saying to you? There's something epic happening. We're in a shift moment right now. Potentially, we're going to take you from the couch to the finish line, and back to the couch to watch Game of Thrones probably, right? Pastor, I mean educational programming. We're going to have an info session right here in this section, this area, so you guys don't have to move, you're already in. Um, And we're going to talk about this Los Angeles marathon. Last year, you guys impacted the world, had 100-and-something runners, set an example, gave a witness. I call it the triple transformation. Your body will be rocked. The number one killer in the United States is heart disease and diabetes. The number one killer in Africa is the lack of access to clean water. Others will be focused and say, what is wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? You're saying, yes, because I love people. And then you will be saving suffering lives. 85% of Uganda, for example, is actually Christian. A lot of folks don't know that detail. So there are our brothers and sisters and our brothers and sisters. Amen? You get what I'm saying? So let's do this. We're going to do this together. We're going to meet over here. You can run. You're like, Rich, I don't run. You can walk. Run, walk, stroll, trot, whatever you need to do, we'll get you there. Okay? So I'm going to pray right quick. I know I'm uh, forgetting something, but God is with us. God is with you. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for Sunrise Church and their faithfulness. I pray that you move in hearts. You bring them closer to you. We show them that we are made for greater purpose and impact. Mm -hmm. That there's no such thing as somebody else or someone else's children, and that we walk with urgency. We live with urgency because they need your love, need this water, and a chance at life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Rich. (laughs) All right. So I know some of you your, your your hands are getting a little sweaty and your heart's beating a little stronger. Um, which is the first part of your training.
1: You know?
0: So here's the thing. Like, I don't ever want to be that pastor that's an arm twister and, and making you feel guilty. So if, like, if I've done that, like, just drop that and tune me out. That has not been the goal of this uh, talk today. But I, don't, I do want to be that person that, like, nudges you on occasion and, like, calls you to something great. And this is, this is something that has become part of the fabric of who Sunridge is. And all I'm asking you to do in this is, like, consider it. it you know, if you just click it off, it's like because it's something outside of your paradigm, then, then it's like, then you're only doing stuff that you've always done. There's something different about this that I just think you should consider it. And consider it means, like, come over here and just listen to an eight-minute talk about it and uh, get some more information and then consider it you don't have to sign on the dotted line today you can if you want but it is one way that we as a church with the resources and who God has made us to be can make a real difference in the world for people who need a difference you know uh, this year Everyone who's doing a half, you don't have to do 26 miles. You can do a half a marathon, which is what I've done in the past. Yeah, all the half-wayers. I don't have that 13.1 on my, on my window. It's just I'm a little embarrassed about it, but, um, but a half is okay. It's awesome because the point is to, to bring clean water, right? But um, we're all starting from the midpoint. Before it used to be this thing where you had to pick the beginning or the middle and like we start we all all the the half marathon runners are starting from the midpoint. So there's like this gonna be this cool thing of all this orange filtering out into the the marathon track where after all the fast people have gone by, you know. <laughs> and you get the finish at the finish line. And the last two miles are downhill. I just wanna let you know that. It's good to know. So, how many of you will say, "I'm not saying I'll do it, Britt, but I'll consider it"? Raise your hand. How many of you consider it? You're gonna meet me over here. Okay. All right. There'll be more of you, I know. So, um, to wrap this thing up today, we're gonna we're gonna stand, and uh, the band's gonna lead us in one more song. Sing it loud and proud. This is an awesome song to wrap up church with, and then uh, I'll meet you over there. Let's stand and worship. Thank you.